Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles. We're excited that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. So we always have a conversation time. For some people, this is lovely. For other people, it's time to get up and go to the bathroom. Do so if you want to. But our conversation time this morning, you're going to get in groups of three or four and discuss this question. Where in your life are you being faithful to being who you want to be? Enjoy. Our, our lives are a living worship. So for many of us, worship was going to the church and raising your hands and singing the song. And, but worship is our very lives. Romans 12 says, um, therefore, by the mercies of God, um, present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, a living worship. This is our destiny as human beings. The saint Irenaeus said, the glory of God is the human being fully alive. And really, worship is all about God's glory, the glory, the radiance, the brightness, the aliveness. I loved that, that song. We sang that song, and it was so true and it doesn't just happen when you're here singing a song about it. It's where you go and show up in your life, create your stuff. The other thing was how many of the stories were about people who've been faithful, right? Uh, starting your business, staying on track with your voiceovers, showing up over and over and over again in the face of obstacles, right? In the face of challenges, in the face of, oh, <laughs> I don't want to keep going. It's too hard. I just want to go drink beer and eat cookies or... No, you never did that, I'm sure. But faithfulness matters because uh, it matters for a better life. It matters for better relationships. It matters for productivity, um, showing up to what you want, to who you are, to what you've said you will do. It makes for better friendships. How many of us have either been the one who's failed as a friend or been failed as a friend? Probably everybody here. Those times when the people you thought you could count on, they weren't there for you, and it felt really hard. So faithfulness matters in many ways, and in fact, civilization is built on faithfulness. Faithful people are the backbone of existence. If people hadn't shown up and been faithful, none of us would be here today. And so faithfulness matters because if we're not faithful, specifically to being who we want to be, who we feel called to be, then we will not feel satisfied. Because the truth is, even if you don't get in the long run to where you thought you could go or what you thought you should do or the stardom or the fame or the money or the whatever, if you didn't even try, how are you going to feel? I mean, it's going to feel crappy to get to my age or older and be like, man, I never really made it. But at least I tried. I gave it my best shot. So faithfulness matters. But the problem is we're also unfaithful, right? And that's just a human condition. We are faithful sometimes, and other times we're unfaithful. We're unfaithful to ourselves. We're unfaithful to our relationships, our commitments. And no one, even the most faithful people, 
are not faithful in everything. And no one is faithful all the time because that's our human condition. So throughout history, long before our own tradition that comes out of Judaism, uh, long before Jesus came and taught anything, long before the yogis started their systems and the Buddhists started their systems, there have been attempts by human beings to manage and organize ourselves in ways that help people be faithful. So we've set up rules, laws, patterns of living to help people be faithful. And yet over and over and over and over again, what happens? It doesn't work. And if we look specifically at our own history in the Old Testament, you know, it's a story of a faithful God continually calling back the unfaithful people of Israel. And there's this whole book of Hosea the prophet. Anybody ever read Hosea the prophet? Okay, there's some, yeah, okay, there you go. It's this crazy story about God calling uh, Hosea to marry a, a prostitute, a whore, and I don't know, God does strange <laughs> things throughout history. Um, and so he takes this Gomer as his wife and has three children by her who apparently may not have been his children anyway. Um, so he, he, and then he, you know, sends her away or something, but then he call, he's like, oh, but, but, but love calls her back, so brings her back. So go read Hosea. It's, I don't understand it. But, <laughs> but I know somehow it's a metaphor both for how we live our lives we're faithful and unfaithful, and then we have to be forgiven, and we have to figure it out. And also for how God is with people. You know, whether that God shows up in, like, the Israel tradition, or it comes in some other interesting system, like, you know, the gods and goddesses of the Hindu system, and the Buddhism that came out of that, and God throughout history is showing up, inviting people into a relationship to help us flourish and be better humans. That's really the point of our faith, isn't to abide by some legalistic rules and follow a system and check all the boxes so that we can feel we're doing what we should be doing. It's to make us and empower us and free us to experiment with being ourselves and to play with life, to to see what we can do with our lives and flourish in whatever way we've been uniquely created to be. So the problem in the Old Testament is we see that God creates this whole system and invites Israel into it, and they create this covenant, which we now call the Old Covenant. But it was a covenant that was based on the law, that if you just did all the things, if you just fulfilled all 686 Levitical dictation things. How many were there, huh? Oh, Dick, sorry. You know, sometimes funny things come out of my mouth. Um, and it's interesting where we're going with all this, too. Um, but it failed because human beings are inherently unfaithful. And the reason it failed is because it didn't deal with the heart. It didn't deal with our inner experience. It didn't teach us how to be present in the moment and learn to listen to all the stuff 
that goes on within us. The messiness of our inner worlds, because our inner worlds are both glorious and full of creativity and possibility, but they're also very messy and disappointing and frustrating and scary and overwhelming. So into this reality of Israel, which is our, our tradition, our root tradition as Christians, Jesus comes to really bring a corrective to the path that Israel has been on. He is a teacher within that lineage. But he comes and says, and we looked at this a month or two ago, Corey taught on uh, Matthew 5. He says in Matthew 5, 17, and this is not the slide yet, um, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill, to fulfill the law, to expand the law, and where does he expand that? We all know Jesus said all the law is summed up in two things. Love God, love your neighbor as self. That's it. It's the law of love. And that is this new covenant that we are invited into, a covenant not based on law, not based on legalism, not based on rigidity and showing up and doing what someone else tells you you should do or who you should be but doing this work of listening deeply to your heart, to your body, to your emotions, doing some tough work to know yourself. That's the invitation to the law of love. Because what Jesus does in this passage we're going to read is he basically just blows everything out of the water. So let's look at this scripture that we're going <laughs> to focus on today. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who, looks, everyone who looks at a person with lust has already committed adultery with them in their heart. Uh-oh. Anyone feel a little lust sometimes? If your right eye causes you to sin, uh-oh. Tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. And if we were to continue on that, we might say, and if your certain part of your body causes you to sin, <laughs> oh no, that's not good. <laughs> and it was also said, whoever divorces their wife let them give, a, well, it was her, him, that was what they were operating on. Let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of chastity, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Okay, like, how does that work? <laughs> so as I looked at this, I realized, I think what Jesus is doing is just blowing it all the water, saying you're never going to be faithful all the time. It doesn't work. And the heart, whoever looks at another with desire gone awry, has already committed something in their heart. And we don't want to deal with the issues of the heart because it's messy. Um, adultery is a product of this desire gone awry that leads us to be unfaithful because we didn't know what to do with that inner messiness. So I remember 
the first time I really kind of had some lust after I'd been married. And I was driving to get on the freeway, where I usually get on the freeway, and there was this very attractive Latin guy that was selling flowers. Young, he was probably like 22 or maybe younger, and I was like 27, 28. And I, for what, and he would, he stood there and he was selling the flowers and he had this, you know, like, hey. And I was like, hey. And I felt this little kind of woo. And I was like, oh my gosh. You know, it was kind of like me, you know, married my husband, never had sex with anyone before. Like, it, it surprised me, you know, like, oh. That's in me. That lives in me. And, um, and then I, I, I didn't really know what to do with it, but it was what it was, and I wasn't too worried about it because highly unlikely I'm going to go proposition the young Latin man standing on the corner selling flowers as I'm on my way to work as a therapist. It probably would not be a good idea. <laughs> the other story that comes to mind related to this is when my husband and I were in couples therapy, and we were working on some stuff, and I don't remember what it was, but I said, well, Dave Rogers is the most faithful person I know. Dave and Dave had been through a divorce, and his wife, former ex-wife, had committed adultery. So I had this absolute certainty Dave would never do that because he knows how much it would hurt. And I said, well, Dave would never do that. And my, the therapist says, what makes you so sure? And I'm like, what? You know, and this idea, and she really challenged us that everyone is potentially capable of being unfaithful, committing adultery. And a lot of us don't think, we think we're the exception, you know? And I think a lot of people go into marriage thinking we're the exception. But the truth is, if we don't deal with our inner messiness and we don't learn to work with feelings skillfully, if we don't learn to work with our own sexual arousal and desire patterns skillfully, if we're not consciously engaged in this work of, of owning all of our reality, both the healthy and the unhealthy, the, the desirable and the undesirable, we're prone to make poor choices be it sexually or otherwise. Um, specifically, we can be unfaithful to who we want to be. None of the couples who have ever talked to me or the individuals who've come to talk to me about unfaithfulness in a relationship started out with that as their plan, you know? They didn't like say, well, today I think I'm gonna go be unfaithful. I think that's what I want. That's who I wanna be. It happens very sneakily, very subtly. The, the marriage begins to break down. Uh, the resentments begin to build up. And we're not dealing with ourselves. We're not talking about it well in the relationship. And then one day, there's a Latin man selling flowers on the corner. And you're like, oh. So there's an interesting passage in James that says, that one is tempted by one's own desire, being lured and enticed by it. And then when that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when I first found this passage, I thought it was so curious because 
This whole idea of being lured and enticed by our desire. It's like there's a desire, there's something that emerges that we're not paying attention to in a proper way. We're not working with skillfully, and it leads us down a low road. And frankly, when it comes to sexuality, we've done a terrible job, and sometimes a harmful and even abusive job, helping our children grow up to know how to skillfully work with desire and arousal. From the time we're in utero, little baby uh, males are having erections, females are having vaginal lubrication. It's just part of our, those are the, the arousal signs, and they're from the beginning. And yet in the church and even in the culture, we just don't talk about it. So we need to, to, to be skillfully trained ourselves in dealing with our sexual arousal functions, but also our emotional patterns, the life force within us. Because what we really want is to be fully alive. And I think the whole sexual desire arousal orgasm pattern is a beautiful metaphor for being fully alive. We have a desire. Ooh, I want to be in a relationship and feel love and have sex and third. You know, that's normal. That's healthy. Yay! And, and when we meet somebody and we find them, ooh, and then we decide to go somewhere and carry it further, we have this whole physiological thing that's so great. And then we have this orgasm and ecstasy, and we're like, yeah, I'm alive. Woo! That's the way it is. It's like, it's, and that is like whether it's that or it's your desire to create an artwork, a painting, or make a movie, or a song, or raise a beautiful child, or bake a thing of bread. I mean, there's a desire that then takes you somewhere, and there's an energy that you follow, and it takes you, and then you you create something, or you have an experience of something. You run a marathon like Corey's today. So there's this human life force in us that wants us to flourish, be alive, productive, create, contribute. And we need to work with that so we can be faithful, to be who we want to be, to be the kind of friends and partners and family members and community members. And we're not going to talk in depth about sex today because that's a whole other series. But sometime, I think, how many of you have seen the Netflix show Sex Education? Oh, great show. I'm, I'm on my second round of it now. But we need to have a sex education for New Abbey. It's like, how do we do sex in this law of love? Because the old covenant was about for people that were getting married at 14 or something, 12. Like, OK, that makes sense. Oh, okay, works. We're waiting until we're 18. Oh, but you're too young to get married. But I have this thing I need to express. No, you know, so we're waiting longer and longer. What does it look like to deal with that part of ourselves in this new covenant? But that's, again, another series. So what do we do with this life force? We're created by love, for love, to love. But when we're not trained, it goes awry, and we lead to all manner of problems. That lack of equipping to faithfully be our unique selves, to work with our patterns of desire and arousal and excitement and production in a healthy way, if we don't have that, we can't be faithful to saying yes to what we want to pursue and no to the things that take us away from that. 
For Jesus followers, love is the metric for our decisions about everything. Personal responsibility to know yourself and make choices that align with your vision and your values about who you want to be. What is the loving choice in this situation this morning? What's going to align me with my vision and values? This morning, my vision and values was to spend the whole morning focusing on here and working on my sermon and spend some time praying and being still. And then I started thinking about Dave, my deceased husband, and how I wish he were here. And I saw what got on his phone and started looking for a video that would have his voice. Because I was like, oh, Dave. And the next thing I know, it was 20 minutes, 30 minutes later, and I was feeling some sadness and still looking on his Facebook page trying to find that video that I wanted to look at. I was like, oh, oh, I lost track. Because I was feeling sad. To really sit in the present moment, to be connected in a given moment, and to really go deep into our hearts and souls and know who we are and what we're here for means to go in this messy place and to sit there and to learn how to work with the sadness. So this morning, I, I didn't do so well with it. Instead of like praying and going, oh, I feel sad, God, and help me stay in track with my, my commitment to this morning to stay focused, I got off track and scrolling there on Facebook, and uh, it was not good. But forgiveness, grace is here. So what is your version of that? You know, where in your life are you falling off track with being who you want to be? You know, that's a question we have to look at, too. And to recognize that it's dealing with our messiness, dealing with especially the unpleasant elements of our inner life, that is what we need to learn to work with, to feel our feelings, to know how to work through emotion, to deal with sensations in our body skillfully. So the question of what does it look like to know yourself and the impact of this choice on your life and being who you want to be? And then the other part is loving your neighbor. And I think this is a good question when it comes to hookup culture. To love my neighbor that I meet in the bar, and we after a few drinks, and we decide to go do whatever we do, do I know their story? Do I know the impact this is going to have on their life? Really? You know, I mean, we both are consenting adults. Great, let's go do it. But I don't know them. What if they're a participant in intimacy avoidance groups? And this is what they do instead of having real vulnerable authentic relationships as they do a hookup. I don't know that about that person. You know, when it comes to your choices about how you engage with people in your business operations, you know, do you know their story? Do you know them well enough to know what's the most loving choice in this business situation with that person? What's their story? What's this going to be like for them if I say this in a certain way? So there's a high level of responsibility that living the law of love entails. And it's not an easy path, but it is the path Jesus invites us onto. And Jesus asks us to ask ourselves, how does following him inform this vision of who I want to be? Character, personhood, and also, who do I want to be in my relationships? And so when it comes to that 
question of, are, are, am I being faithful to being who I want to be? There's this whole powerful system of our brains that's important. And there's a book called The Willpower Instinct by a psychologist named Kelly McDonagall. And she talks about the three things, the prefrontal executive brain that has to say, I want. We have to own what we want and say, this is what I want. And then there's also, I won't. Here are the things I won't do as I pursue what I really want. I won't look at Facebook this morning. I did. Oh, well, get back on track. And then I will. What will I do? I will sit down and spend that time sitting in prayer. And our, our tendency to be unfaithful is just who we are. And hopefully we can keep learning to forgive ourselves when we fail to do that. But the invitation for us as a community, telling the biggest story of, G of God in the world, is to ask, as we follow Jesus, how does Jesus inform that for you? who you're choosing to be in the world, what you want, who you want to be, and how you want to live. And so as you go into your groups today, the invitation is to ask this question and, and talk about it in your group. Where in your life might you consider upgrading your faithfulness? Where in your life may you consider, might you consider, it's grace, you don't have to. It's just a consideration. Uh, upgrading your faithfulness. Enjoy your conversations. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.